And we're still in Exodus. Even though we've crossed the Red Sea, there's a lot more to Exodus. And um, if you're a, a person that uh, listens to a lot of contemporary Christian music, uh, there's a there's a, a praise and worship song out there called Exodus, and it's uh, it, it hits a little different when you've actually spent time studying the Exodus, and uh, it's on repeat on my playlist. Uh, I won't play it for you because it'll shut down the Facebook feed for copyright. Good old Facebook, gotta love them. But in Exodus, we've watched God reveal His name and making sure that we knew it was a name for all generations. And then he showed us the two very different staffs, the staff of the empire that was used to, to control and subvert and, and often used violently to appropriate its means versus the staff of God, which is the staff of a shepherd who leads with his voice, not with his might. And we got to see that God was dealing all the way through the plagues with the heart. It was never just a, an outright demonstration of power. It was about the, the heart of people and understanding that, that God is always drawing our heart and He'll give you courage in your heart. But if you want to be stubborn, He'll allow you the strength to do that as well. And then last week we witnessed the rebirth of a nation. That the, the plague of the firstborn son, God redeemed his firstborn through blood and through water. And now we're coming to a part that's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be fun because it's so very applicable to us and to our lives. And that is... The, the title of this message is Testing to Know All Your Heart, Your Soul, and Your Might. That, that God still wants you to love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might, and that He will test those things. And people don't like that. The Bible doesn't care. The Bible doesn't care that you don't like it. In James, it says, Count it all joy. Count it all joy. And in the New Testament, we like to just sum all of your heart, your soul, and your might into that one beautiful word of faith. But it, it really is the same thing. James could have easily wrote that the, the, the trying of your heart and your soul and your might brings forth the perfect fruit in you. And, and we're going to look at that in, in real time in the Exodus. But we have to understand the Hebrew idea of testing. Because, uh, again, some of our thoughts on testing are a little different than, than culture on the other side of the globe. Testing is not a pass-fail test. Students should be excited. College students ought to be like, yes, that is my kind of test. It's not a pass-fail test. But testing in the idea of the, the Hebrews, and, and you can go into look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and, and you'll find a little bit more of this in Scripture, but it's, it's to humble you and to test you in order to know 
what is in your heart. And, and that word know in Hebrew is yada, which is the, the same word that Adam yada Eve. He intimately knew her. And out of that intimate knowledge, procreation occurred. Okay? Yada. God wants to yada what's in your heart. He wants to intimately know what's there. And He wants you to yada His heart. To know intimately what moves God. And yada is experiential. It's not cerebral. Okay, it means you have to experience it. You, you can tell people about the love of God, but until they experience it for themselves, they'll never know the love of God. And the test is always an opportunity to show God what's in your heart. It shows you as well what's in your heart. And, you know, we, we get on in Scripture and it says nobody can fully know their heart because it's desperately wicked. And, and I want you to understand that when the Bible talks about your heart, it is specifically speaking to your will. God wants your heart. He wants your will. Your will is your power to choose. Do you choose to worship Him or do you choose to chase after the things of this world? Where is your will? The test is also an opportunity to learn a new lesson from God. In the middle of the, the horrible stuff we go through in life, we get to learn about where our heart is. Are we really crying out and believing God for who He says He is? And then in the middle of all that, are we paying enough attention to learn a lesson from Him? And maybe it's the lesson is simply I learned to trust you a little bit more. I learned to understand that you got control of everything that I can't control. The last thing before we get started is we need to read the Bible with the perspective of these people are just like us. We, we pick on people in the Bible all the time. I've been guilty of picking on them as well. How can you act this way when you just saw God do this? Okay, we're, we're going to deal with the Hebrews getting thirsty a couple different times. How can you complain when you just saw God do all that stuff in Egypt? We're the same way. If you don't believe it, it's going to be 102 degrees out today. About... Four o'clock this afternoon, you just put on your heavy winter coat and your snow pants, your car hearts if you got them, go out there and walk a mile with no water. And then take that times three days and see if you don't relate a little more to the Hebrews. Because they're in the desert. It's easy for us to sit there and say, well, you just saw all these miracles sitting in our air-conditioned pew in our air-conditioned recliner at home, at our air-conditioned kitchen table. When your air conditioning goes out for more than a few hours, my brother can testify to this, people are not their normal happy selves. <laughs> You'll go to see them and they're happy to see you because you're the guy that can fix the air conditioner. But no one was happy to see Moses, you know, the guy who God's representative was, they grumble and complain. We're just like them. 
In the New Testament, the disciples get accused of being of little faith. We're just like them. We really are. When the big stuff comes up, we doubt, just like Thomas. We're walking along good with Jesus like we're walking on water with Peter and then all of a sudden, squirrel! And we start sinking. We're the same. So we have to start reading the Bible with that perspective. Okay, and, and this is Exodus chapter 15. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Shur. <laughs> okay, sometimes it's just funny. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And what's interesting, when you get on into the books of the law, they'll talk about a rebellious son and they'll label him Mara because he brings bitterness and rebellion. That's a free side note. <clears throat> and the people grumbled against Moses and said, what shall we drink? If I keep reaching for my coffee, it's because their drink comes up a bunch of times. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Anybody else get a little frustrated the Bible doesn't spell that out for us? What's the statute? What's the rule? This is where we have to start kind of digging and guessing a little bit. Uh, what, what would be some of the rules in empire? Who would go first? Who would go first in the empire? The higher ranking people. The, the nobility would go first. And, and I can't prove this for a fact other than God establishes His kingdom and God will later say it again through the mouth of his own son that the last shall be first in the kingdom. The least of these. He says it over and over again. So we're going to look at it and, and let's go with that approach that saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Okay, and if, if you want that in Hebrew, I am Yehovah Rapha. Yehovah Rapha, the one who takes bitterness and turns it to sweet. What kind of people made the Exodus? Was it just the young and the healthy? No. Because we, we hit that over and over. Moses was very direct with Pharaoh about what God wanted. God said, I want all of them. I want all of them. That means that we're going to take the young, the old, the healthy, the sick, the invalid, the in crowd, the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, and any of the foreigners that want to go along with us. Because there were Egyptians who made the, the Exodus too because they chose to give up and forsake that and become what God had become part of the nation of God. Because you'll see that when we get to the law, the law will deal with the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow multiple times. So all of these different people are there. So 
the difference you're going to start to see is how God wants the least of these treated. In the empire, the least of these, the old, the sick, the invalid, the outcasts, were literally that. They were pushed to the edges of society. Who do you think is going to drink first at, at Mara? The old, the sick, the, the marginalized. And this is one well, one well, okay? Think of one stock tank for a million cows. How long is it going to take to get them all water? One well to, to water a million people. How long is it going to take them? And, and this is what's funny because I think God has a little sense of humor because he's testing them to see if they'll do this the right way. He's testing their heart. He's testing their will. Are you willing to set aside your ego a little bit, a healthy young person who could force their way to the front and let the old sick lady go before you. He's teaching them how his kingdom is going to do community. And then the, the verse right after it, I didn't throw in. I want you to understand that they go around, in, in Hebrew it says they go around the next bend. And you know what's there? Like 12 springs and 70 palm trees. If God doesn't show himself mighty, you know, where you were grumbling and complaining, if you'd have just stayed the course, there was something better, where it would have been easy. And sometimes God lets you take the hard way because he's testing your will. In Exodus chapter 16, they set out from Elim. All of the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they departed after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to him, said to them, Would we, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. You brought us out here to kill us with hunger. Man, I'm still shocked that, that when they get rejected at the, the entry to the promised land that it's only teenagers that survive. Because teenagers are the first people I think of that are going to complain about being hungry. That's a sidebar. But I want you to see something here. What are they complaining about? They're complaining about being hungry. They're complaining that they, they sat by the meat pots in Egypt. What did they bring with them on the Exodus? They got a lot of stuff, but they brought all their herds and all their cattle. I may not be a smart man, but when you're complaining about meat, and there's a herd of cattle right there that you own? This is not hard. It's not even remotely complicated. We should be having a barbecue instead of complaining. And these guys 
are complaining about something they had in Egypt, which makes me think that in this moment, they're, they're complaining and asking for something specific because if we're looking at their heart, they're wanting to test God. They're walking on some very dangerous ground, and I think Moses recognizes it. And you'll see Moses' response. He said, and the, the Lord's response, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Okay, I'll give them what they want, but I'm going to test them. Whether they will walk in my law or not. The, this whole process of going through the desert and going to Sinai is a testing period, which I, I in my own warped way, like to call it a dating period. Because when you're dating someone, you're kind of testing them out to see if this is really someone I want to marry or not. If you're dating for any other purposes, you're wasting time, money, and emotion. That's a freebie. Parents run with that. Uh, but testing whether or not this is somebody you want to spend the rest of your life partnered with. And it's good to know before you get there. Because there's a lot of heartache if not. If you're married to the right person, there's nothing like it. If you're married to the wrong person, I'm told there's nothing like it. So that's a free marriage seminar. We'll be here all week. Uh, <clears throat> On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord, it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you would grumble against us? Hey, we're just like you. Why are you complaining to us? And there's a pause. Okay, we know there's a pause because in the translation it says, and Moses said. So there was a pause, no response from the people. So Moses ups the ante and he says, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? I'm looking at it just from the outside looking in. God never said he was going to give them meat. This is Moses. Moses taking a step trying to mitigate their grumbling and their testing of God. And he said, fine, I'm going to let God prove himself to you because I'm going to put God's money where my mouth is. And he says, I'm going to say that you're going to get meat in the evening. Then Moses and Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Guess what, people? Gather around. God has heard you grumbling. And then God puts his glory in the cloud again. Man. Someday I'd like to see that cloud <laughs> just to see what they saw. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread and then you shall know that I'm the Lord your God. I believe it's in Psalm 38. There's a, a retelling of this account 
from several years down the history where they tell it. And if you want to, you can turn over there. I won't get mad at you reading ahead. But the, the author talks about God releasing the east wind and releasing a strong wind from the south and, and covering the ground of the camp with quail numbered like sand on the beach. And, you know, if you've ever seen quail lost in a windstorm, it's, it's not that hard to imagine that God could do that to enough quail to feed a million people if he wants to, because you get the wind blowing hard enough and quail are stupid. Okay, they're, they're just a little bit above a chicken. And a chicken's a little bit above a guinea. And if you don't know these birds, you need to spend some time with these birds. You'll appreciate them. And when somebody calls you a bird brain, you'll know how much of an insult it is. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And I'm going to start paraphrasing for the sake of time. The, the dew that covered the earth, when it evaporated, there was this white, flaky substance out there, and they went to start gathering it up. And they had no idea what it was, but it tasted really sweet. And in Hebrew, they called it manah, meaning, what is it? And... And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commands that you, each one of you take as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some, some more, and some less. Okay, thinking back to what kind of people are on this trip. Are the old and the, the sick and the invalid going to be able to gather much? No. Uh, are the young and carefree teenagers going to gather much? Probably not, because teenagers weren't that much different back then. You know, their head was in the clouds thanks to hormones and everything else. Okay? Are the moms going to worry and gather way more? Yes, because that's who they are. And this is what's really cool. When they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. And each of them gathered as much as he could eat. God was showing that he was going to take care of everyone in the community. And, and we don't know how much an omer was. Uh, there's people that try and put that as an old Egyptian term of a homer, which is a little more than a cup, which doesn't sound very filling to me, but... Again, this was miraculous food. Uh, some of the people did not listen to Moses and left part of it until morning when they were commanded not to. And it rotted and had worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Man, imagine that. <clears throat> morning by morning, they gathered it as much as they could. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So there was a time limit. God was testing them. Are you going to get out of bed? Are you going to get out of bed? You're going to do the work that you got to do. Because you got to do this. Because these people aren't just camping all the time. They got to get out of bed. They got to gather it. They got to prepare it. And then they got to get up and move the camp. Because these are not people who are staying in one place and building a city. They're nomads. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what God commands. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a Sabbath. 
a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will and boil what you will boil and leave the leftovers. It'll keep till morning. And it did. There were no worms. It didn't stink. None of the bad stuff that happened on a regular day. And Moses said, eat it for today is the Sabbath. And yet there's still people who got up and went and tried to gather because they didn't listen. And, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Moses gets to relay that message. The Lord gave you a Sabbath. On the sixth day, He gives you enough. Okay, what did we say God was in the beginning as the Creator? The God who says when it's enough. What did God later show Himself to be? I'm the provider. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. If you need the next tie-in on further in Scripture, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you need the next connection in the New Testament, give us this day our daily bread. The next connection in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where all will eat and be satisfied. And again, we catch them moving. They move on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And the people were thirsty, and they grumbled against him and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? See, they admit they have livestock. Okay, anyway. What shall I do with these people? This Moses going to God, he said, what do I do? They're about to stone me. And I don't think that is an exaggeration or a dramatic moment on Moses' part. I think these people were ready to kill him. And God's response is so great. And the Lord said to Moses, pass out in front of them. Just, just go out there in front of them. Go in front of the people. I got something for you to do. The people who want to stone you, yes, just go right out there. Anybody want Moses' job? You know, these people are ready to kill him. God said, ah, just go out in front of him. It'll be all right. And take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Okay, the mountains over in that part of the world, they just come up out of the ground. There, there's not a lot of slope, not a lot of grade, which you'll need to know for later when he says, don't touch the mountain. It's because it's like the wall of the mountain is right there. And God is telling Moses, go to Mount Horeb and I will stand before you. I'll stand between you and the rock. And I've got some great illustrations for this. Brace yourself. Okay. Before I do though, strike the rock. He's telling him, nakah the rock. Strike with the intent to kill. Okay. You're striking the rock. Who's between Moses and the rock? God, he's saying, you're going to strike me with the intent to kill. Okay, where'd my, oh, did I not put them in? I didn't put the pictures in. Sorry, I had these great stick figure pictures for you. Where, where you have Moses and you have the mountain 
And then the next one, you have Moses and a squiggly line representing the presence of God in the mountain. And what happens when Moses strikes the presence of God in the rock? Water comes busting out of it. What happened when they pierced Jesus on the cross? It was something that the children of Israel needed to see again with their own eyes, that water would indeed come from the rock. And he called the name of the place Massah Meribah because of the quarreling of the people. And they said, is the Lord among us or not? The last story for the day, the last testing, is the, the story of Amalek. And Amalek, to, to make it very simple, he's one of the people that God will put a curse on because he attacks the children of Israel while they're wandering in the desert. And Amalek is not the kind of person who's going to fight fair. Amalek is not known to come attack the front of a traveling party because who's at the front? The fighters, the healthy people, the strong people. Amalek attacks from behind where you have the old, the sick, and the outcast. He's attacking the people that are the most vulnerable. And I got to get this part. Um, Moses says to Joshua, choose men for us to go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with, my, with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady to the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. The thing about community, God has already tested their heart. God has tested their soul. Are you going to see that that I'm the one that's going to provide water out of the rock for you. I'm going to make streams in the desert to restore your weary soul. And then I'm going to ask you to do things. In this case, he asked them to go fight. The first part of the story often gets overlooked is that Joshua goes through the camp looking for volunteers who will go fight. He's selecting men, and one of the closest tie-ins to this is the story of Gideon, where God's going to choose the right kind of man to go fight for him. I want you to understand that God has chosen you to go and to fight for his kingdom, to stand up for his word, to stand for the, re the reality of the gospel in a world that's trying to deny it. And the other thing, God's called us to community, to support each other, in the middle of a battle to support each other when we're weak and when we're weary 
Because if there's no Aaron and no Her, there's no victory that day. One of my favorite African proverbs is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. They were victorious. And the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it. In the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory from Amalek under heaven. Joshua is the commanding officer of this fight that just beat Amalek. But he didn't wipe him out. And God's telling Moses to tell Joshua, and I'm going to write it down for you, Joshua, so you don't forget that God's intention is to wipe out Amalek. You want to know what God is going to wipe out is the spirit of Amalek, the spirit that oppresses the sick, the weak, and the outcast. God's going to wipe that out when it's all said and done. Because you know who's going to be sick in heaven? Nobody. You know who's going to be weak in heaven? Nobody. You know who's going to be an outcast in heaven? Nobody. So we're called to show the might of community in the body of Christ. When one member hurts, we all hurt with them. When one member's rejoicing, and this is something we're going to get to in a couple weeks that I really like. God commands us to party. It's awesome. Okay? And people are perking up. They're like, yes! Okay? But when they rejoice, we rejoice. When they're in need, if we can meet their need, we meet it. If they're hurting and we can't do anything else, we sit with them in their sorrow. The strength of the church is a community that the world can't understand. 